I'm Nick Terzo, and this is The Radical. My guest this week is somewhat of a prodigy. From winning the Outstanding Guitarist at the Ellington Competition at Lincoln Center at only 16 years old, to a full scholarship at the Berklee School of Music that he walked away from to pursue his wild dreams in New York City. Nothing is normal about his path to success. While in New York, he joined bands such as Semi-Precious Weapons and the New York Dolls and built his reputation as a guitar player extraordinaire and songwriter. Continuing to take risks, a few years back, he left New York behind and moved to Nashville to expand his songwriting and to pursue a solo career. The bets have all seemed to pay off. His newest solo record, Tazjan, 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 pushes the boundaries with songs of self-identity and fluid gender and sexuality. It also has some remarkably unique pop songs. I'm thrilled to be able to welcome Aaron Lee Tazjan aboard the show this week to discuss his uncommon and creative path as an artist. Coming up, my chat with Aaron Lee Tazjan. Uh, welcome, Aaron. Hey, hey. Thanks so much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining the show. I'm excited to talk about your new record. Um, yes, yes. I listened to it. I've listened to many songs on it, and I can't get up all night out of my brain. I've been whistling it, singing it in every shower I've been in. <laughs> um, there's some great songs on here. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a really fun record to make, and and one that I got to uh, produce myself uh, with, with a co-producer with my friend Gregory Latimer. And, um, you know, we holed up in his backyard for about a year doing it with all kinds of animals coming in while we were recording. And it's kind of like, you know, the, recording an album in the Snow White Kingdom. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> But it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, and I also love that song On Computer of Love, which I think is so timely. And it's just a, it's a song for our time, for sure. Yeah, man. You know, that one, you know, what's funny about that song, actually, now that I think about it, <laughs> when I was when I had first written that song, that was one where I, the, the riff and the melody came immediately and I couldn't figure out what to sing over it lyrically. And when we were recording the song, I still didn't have any words for it. So I would just say to the band before we would start each take, I would say, all right, what should the title be this time? And someone would just call out a random title, you know. And, and I would just make up words based around whatever that title was. And I think the very last time we did it, somebody said, what about computer of love? You know, or just, I think maybe it was the engineer. I was Greg. Cause probably cause he was just staring at his computer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I loved that for some reason, that title just, I liked it so much and it really struck a chord with me about the time that we were living in. And I went home and wrote the lyrics in one go without having to edit anything. It just all kind of came right out. So it's funny sometimes like the right title can really be the key to like finishing a song, you know? Yeah. It's a little bit like reverse engineering for right. sure. Right. Totally. So, yeah. I'm not sure you shouldn't always start there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you. the chorus is do become the title, right? Yeah, I know. That's true. Let me ask you, 
What was the impetus in your move from New York City to Nashville? Just got to a place where it felt like New York was um, a, a place that I'd loved being. I'd been there for about 10 years at that point. Um, and, but I'd been on tour a bunch with this guy named Todd Snyder by that time who lived in Nashville and was sort of a modern day John Prine kind of guy. And, um, and was revered by everybody, like from Prine to Chris Christofferson to like all those guys loved this dude. So for me, he was like, you know, definitely, a uh, a, a, um, a, a fast becoming a hero of mine as well. And he just kept saying, man, you really should try Nashville because, you know, Nashville has a much more diverse, it's not just country music, you know, there's like all these other kinds of music happening here. And then I remembered things that I'd loved from Nashville, like Bobby Bear Jr.'s records, the Bear Jr. stuff, you know, um, was way up my alley um, as a kid. So, you know, I thought like, there's probably something to this. And and after about nine years of, of, of living in New York City, just kind of decided like, I'm just going to go down to Nashville and see what happens. Moved down with the intention of joining a band um, and the band that I did join almost immediately went on an indefinite hiatus. And my very first solo record was really just an effort to show people what I could do on the guitar, almost like a business card that I could try to get drum up some work with. And, you know, somehow I think I, I ended up playing a solo show, um, at the basement East opening for some friends of mine called traveler and Ann powers from NPR was in the crowd that night and started tweeting about one of my songs. And that it, it was kind of like off to the races, like as a solo artist after that, you know, Anne saves the day again. So in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's, yeah, she's the best man. She's amazing. You're obviously validated as an incredible musician. I mean, do you still do, um, any kind of side work at all, like either touring wise for others or for recording? Not really. No. Um, I've been so busy doing my own music and, and, and there's been so many opportunities to do it, um, that it hasn't really come up. Uh, one thing that I did do that meant a, a whole lot to me, um, in 2000, uh, 18 and 19, I was asked, uh, by Kevin Kinney to produce a record for his out, his band driving and crying. Um, and, uh, I, I had played in that band at a certain point. Um, but also just been a long time fan of Kevin's songwriting and of driving and crying's records. And, uh, so to get to work with those guys as a producer really meant a lot to me because I just think Kevin is, is a true great American songwriter and is still writing incredible songs and um, to, to get to help that band make a record that showed that they are as vibrant and vital a band today as they were in 1989 meant a whole lot to me, you know? So that was a really fun side project I got to do. That's incredible. Um, do you like the production side of it as much as maybe the songwriting and performing? Um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like it as much. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Chuck Prophet about this one time and I, cause he had been producing a, a record for this band called the Ruby news, yes. which I love, you know, classic, like amazing power pop. Um, and I was saying to Chuck, um, I was like, man, do you enjoy producing records? You know, like, is that 
something that you would see yourself doing more of like as time goes on or whatever. And I, I do not believe this was a reference to the Ruby news record. I think this was a reference to something else entirely, but he said very, it was very Chuck profit thing to say. It was like, well, you know, man, I mean, you can't want it more than they do. (laughs) Meaning as the producer, you can't want the record to be better than the artist (laughs) wants it to be. And that he found what to be the frustration of producing, you know? So I think like, I kind of agree with that in the sense that like production is uh, is going to be, you know, uh, at its utmost when people can agree on, you know, on those kind of terms, you know. So I would say I, I enjoy doing it when it's like a record where everybody is on the same page for sure. Right. Cool. And with the new record, I mean, do you find that like, you know, being in the rock sphere yeah. um, as you are, um, what's like a traditional rollout like nowadays? I mean, do you guys still do the singles and still, uh, try to compete for some radio time and all that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, it certainly is different than it used to be. Um, but uh, you know, that, yeah, they still, we made, we actually, you know, they, people still make music videos, even if you can believe that. Um, and we made a whole trilogy um, of music videos that was all one story told through three different singles that we released off the album um, that I created with a, uh, this director named uh, Curtis Wayne Millard. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a really amazing project. I don't even know if anybody understood that that's what we did. <laughs> it's hard to explain things to people now, even stuff that's kind of, you know, simple like that. It's kind of like you go, well, you've heard of star Wars, right? Like it's the same thing except music videos, you know, but like people still don't quite get it. So, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting because you sort of put this stuff out there now and you sort of just wait to see, you know, how people perceive it. Like, you never know what the perception is. And sometimes like with, with marketing and stuff, I feel like you have to like, you have to leave some room for the perception to take place. And then you can like market the perception almost, you know what I mean? Because it's like with the internet now and stuff, like everything is being received kind of out of context a lot of times. So people don't know where it's from or why they're seeing it or what it's connected to, or if I'm famous or if I'm nobody or if I'm, you know, whatever. Uh, And so in that way, it's kind of like, you know, all, all bets are off. Um, we have had some, uh, luck actually with the record at, um, uh, Americana radio, weirdly, uh, the album hasn't even come out yet. And it's already, the single is, is top five and the album is top 10 on, on Americana radio right now. So that's great. Congrats. Thank you. That's a fantastic start. So, um, and some of the themes, I mean, you really do kind of like to explore some of this, um, identity stuff and fluidity of people's sexuality or attraction or whatever the term would be nowadays says an old man <laughs> yeah. um, you know and you do that with your uh what do you have feminine walk which is a great yeah. song too which Thank is you. another fantastic song um so uh, what's your interest around that is your interest more perceived to your own experiences yeah just the outside world how you want to be people come together and not have these judgments yeah, I think it's all of those things, you know, um, it start it starts out 
um, as your own experiences. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've gotten to travel a lot in my life. I've gotten to, you know, go to other places in the world and meet other people, you know, who, who've, you know, had experiences like mine, you know, so you recognize like these are, these, a lot of these things are sort of universal experiences, um, that despite, uh, how tired some people seem to, to be of having to consider the fact that there are people out there who are different from them. There are, and we keep having to have these conversations. So in a lot of ways, it's funny because people will say, oh, you know, you're not singing about anything that David Bowie didn't sing about or Mark Boland didn't sing about or whatever. And I say, yes, that's correct. But these conversations are still relevant, (laughs) (laughs) which is why people like me are still singing about this because (laughs) it still is a problem. (laughs) So, you know, um, you know, in that way, um, yeah, they're coming. I mean, feminine walk is a direct personal experience right out of my life where my dad and I were on, uh, well, my whole family was on a summer vacation, um, when I was about nine or 10 years old, I think, Um, we were in Wisconsin, which is where my grandmother lived in Baraboo for the summer. And we were standing on the street corner and an older teenage kid came walking up to my father and I and pointed at me and said to my dad, Hey man, I've just got to know, like, is that a boy or a girl? You know? And I thought to myself, like, even as a young guy, like, man, I was just walking down the street. Like what? (laughs) what in the world would have possessed this guy to, you know, I probably had on like some, some Umbro soccer shorts and a no fear t-shirt, you know, and like some sort of like vaguely Dorothy Hamill haircut, you know? Um, but like, you know, it, it wasn't like I was standing there in like a cocktail dress, like with a beard, you know what I mean? Like, um, so it just struck me and, uh, you know, and I just thought like, you know, it just kind of came together. It's like, man, you can tell a lot about a person about the way that they walk, you know, the way that somebody carries themselves, like that can be very expressive, you know, and like feminine, what, like saying I've got a feminine walk, like that just felt really, um, like celebratory to me. Like it felt like something that you would want to like celebrate in song. Like you would want to walk, you would like it needed theme music almost, you know, like, (laughs) so it, 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 that song kind of came together, you know, as just sort of a result of like having, you know, many different instances of that kind of thing throughout my life and, and, and realizing that a lot of people did and, um, and that it's probably more mainstream than we think it is. It's because we probably just aren't talking about it as much as it happens. Right. Is it, is it curious to be on like label here in Nashville and kind of pushing, <laughs> you know, kind of some of these themes out here we are in Nashville. And, uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, a couple of years ago, I did a, a performance at the Americana music awards. Um, and I, um, I had to go on right in between um, Leanne Womack and Winona Judd. And, you know, I, I was, you know, as a young man, was feeling very intimidated by that amount of star power. Um, but I had been, I'd been going to a, an amazing 
club downtown in Nashville called Play a bunch, um, and they had amazing drag shows there. And I'd become friends with some of the performers. And so I invited a couple of, of them to come to my show and dress as Leanne Womack and Winona. And to come out at the end of my set and do, I had a song called Success, where the chorus goes, success ain't about being better than everybody else. It's about being better than yourself. And so I had them join me for this song, come out on stage, dressed as Winona and Leanne, which they did impeccably. They both looked incredibly flawless. And they came on stage and danced and you sort of watched the first couple of rows slowly re- understand what was happening. And some people were delighted and some people were kind of like upset. It seems like, you know, but I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to show something that will, you know, that will make people feel and think and whatever the feeling is they have is secondary to the thinking, you know? So if you, a lot of times, if you have a strong emotional reaction to something, it will cause you to think about it later. So, you know, that's always the goal for better or worse. It's meant with love and I hope it's taken as such. (laughs) Look, you guys were provocateurs in New York, let alone come down to Nashville. I mean, (laughs) if you can be provocative in New York, then you've mastered uh, <laughs> if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. that's right that's right so i mean you've had this interesting life i mean you're kind of a little bit of a prodigy um as a kid um you win the allington award you i think i read you had a scholarship to berkeley is that true that did you did you turn that down yeah or did you i go? i did go for six months um and um you know i like I said, I mean, my, I loved I loved uh, guitar players like Freddie Green or Wes Montgomery, Joe Pass, Jim Hall, um, Grant Green was a hu- huge one, certainly. Um, but you know, a lot of those seminal, you know, fifties and sixties jazz guitar players, that was my style of jazz that I played and that I was into. And Berkeley was trying to make. Um, guitar players who would be relevant to work in now, (laughs) not in the 1960s. So they really wanted me to study guys like Mike Stern and, um, you know, just the sort of like what I would call sort of steely Dan jazz guitar sort of nomenclature, you know, um, type figures. And, uh, I thought, I thought that stuff was really interesting, but it wasn't really in my bag. And then I was in ear training one day, and the guy said, today we're going to talk about the blues. So let's listen to some examples of the blues. And he put on Eric Clapton. And I just thought, I got to get out of here, man. <laughs> like this, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, no disrespect to like Eric Clapton as like a, as like a, 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 a a person who tried to continue the tradition of the blues, but like, you know, that's not my idea of the blues, you know, so I might be in the wrong place. So did you just head to New York on your own then? You were just young and kind of said, I'm going to New York. I'm out of here, Boston. So I don't know why I had the balls, you know, Um, but I just thought, yeah, I don't need, you know, what I need is I need to go play 
in a bar for five years, you know? Um, and I did, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, I was in semi-precious weapons, but I was playing all the time, constantly everywhere, like as much as I could. So. Yeah. Did you play with the New York dolls for a bit? Like I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Tony Visconti produced the first semi-precious weapons record. And the night that he came to see us to decide whether or not um, we were worthy, um, which of course we were hoping that we were because Tony Visconti, my God. Um, but, um, he brought, uh, Sylvain Sylvain and he brought, uh, Steve Conti who was playing the Johnny Thunders parts in the dolls at that time. So they were both guitar players. So I hit it off with those guys tremendously. And when Steve had to leave the band temporarily to, um, uh, be with his family. Uh, he called me and, and asked me if I would do some dolls shows and it turned into a whole tour and even some promo stuff that I got to do with them afterwards. And, uh, and, and, and then my relationship with Syl really developed where he and I, uh, had a whole separate, I played, he reformed the ugly Americans. I did a tour with him with that and then started a new group with Tommy Price from Joan Jett and the Blackhearts and Kenny Aronson from the Yardbirds and started recording. But unfortunately we never got to finish the recordings. And then of course, Syl got sick and recently just passed away. God bless him. Uh, we miss you, Sylvain. Um, in peace. But uh, yes, a, a tremendous influence uh, on me um, and and uh, many of the bands that I've played in, actually, the Dolls, for sure. Right. And can you talk, speak to me a little bit? You know, I call the show The Radical, and I always like to know, you know, were there a radical, a radical moment that kind of could have gone bad for you or good for you, but still set up kind of where you are as an artist, so to speak? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, gosh. um yeah you know um what's one okay well i had um a couple of years ago when i put out the um silver tears record um i was asked to play at bonnaroo um, which, you know, that's a big music festival down here. And, and, um, so it's a big honor to, to get to play that. And, um, and I did my set and it went really good. And, um, I was invited then to perform a song of my choice later that evening at something called the, uh, 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 bluegrass, uh, uh, underground Bonnaroo super jam tent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly the right name or not, but I was trying to get it. But anyway, the whole thing was hosted by, uh, the comedian Ed Helms, um, who is also a gifted musician actually, uh, as it turns out. Um, and so there was a, you know, there was a, uh, a stage band and, and all that kind of stuff that was backing up everybody. And they had all different kinds of artists. Margot Price, uh, sang and, um, and all that. So I, <laughs> I had, um, received a, someone had left a gift in my dressing room, um, uh, of some of the bounty of the earth. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, at that time, 
I think I think it was just one of those moments where everything had gone so well that day, and I sort of forgot that I had to do something later. Um, and I was just enjoying myself with the summertime here at Bonnaroo, you know. Um, so I just took the whole—I ate the whole bag, um, <laughs> and uh, was still was still full throttle um, by the time the Supergrass Super Jam tent bluegrass super jam tent kicked off and <laughs> the first the first thing that happened was ed accidentally called me to the stage early accidentally introduced me before i was supposed to go on so i was in the middle of a conversation with someone and then suddenly i hear my name and it dawns on me wait a minute i'm supposed to sing a i'm supposed to sing a song oh no i'm supposed <laughs> to sing it now <laughs> And so I start running like as fast as I can. I sprinted to the stage, jumped up on stage, and just as they were figuring out, oh, no, wait, we're actually supposed to play this other song first. So I run up on stage right as they're counting off a song I don't know at all. And Ed Helms, I'm standing up next to Ed Helms, and I'm looking at him. They're playing this song, and he just motions to me like, "Go over to the microphone and sing a verse of this, why don't you?" You know, and I'm just like, I'm trying, like in the state that I'm in, to somehow communicate to him that I don't know this song. And rather than just saying I don't know this song, I'm like trying to make all these like weird hand gestures, like I, I don't, I can't sing this one, you know, like. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, so I'm like waving my arms around or whatever. Uh, I can't remember who's someone else eventually stepped up and like sang the song. And, uh, and then it was time for me to do my song, which I re which I, I've miraculously remembered all of. I was really impressed by. And then there was an un, uh, there was like an unannounced, um, thing that happened where, they started pushing all the rest of the artists up on stage as soon as my song was over. And they started handing everybody these little American flags. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, I'm like tripping my face off, like looking at this flag, which looks like a snake that's like, you know, got a waffle hanging off the side of it. And, uh, and, and I'm standing next to Margot Price and I turned to her and I said, I'm so high. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to perform. And I think she said, I think she said, you know, well, you've already, you just sang. <laughs> so you'll, you'll probably be fine. Just when it's your turn to sing, you know, just go up to the microphone and, and, and sing your song or sing your verse or whatever. Um, I think they were, I think they were playing proud to be an American. And then we were supposed to go into ROCK in the USA. And that's when I was supposed to sing. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> if I, if I ever came in or not, I actually can't remember, um, how, how that ended. Um, but I do remember like afterwards just thinking to myself, like, all right, like this was like a packed, huge Bonnaroo tent. Like, you know, I was like, I, I embarrassed myself so much tonight. So many times, like that I have nothing to fear anymore. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> I literally couldn't embarrass myself in front of a large group of people like anymore, you know, uh, perfectly, like if I tried. So like, it was definitely a moment where, 
you know, it, it, it could have gone terribly. Um, but it, it ended up going okay and was sort of like, you know, I was a really anxious person, like getting on stage always made me really nervous. And it was kind of like, I got to have this big failure in front of everybody, but we, everyone was sort of laughing with me instead of at me, you know, and it sort of like made me, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I felt, I felt really relieved afterwards. <laughs> if that makes sense. You pulled it off. Yeah. yeah. Well, my friend, thank you for doing this today. Your new record is Taz Jam, Taz Jam, Taz Jam. Three yeah. times. I recommend everyone get it. It's a really, really great record. Um, congratulations. So, Man, thank you so much. And thanks yeah. so much for having me on. I, yeah. I sure do appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, I hope I can see you in person at some point. I'm in Nashville yeah. too. And, um, oh, good. Yeah, let's grab a coffee or something. I'd love to see you perform too. I mean, it's, I just can't wait to see you perform. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. sincerely hoping that there will be some opportunities to do that this year. Although, you know, safety first, obviously. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening this week. To follow what's going on with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. Theradicalpod.com. You'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat. I would be honored if you'd subscribe at Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week.